All we need is a little understanding Walk a mile in their shoes And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride called You are listening to the True Sweet Hide podcast hosted by Annette Wittenberger. But this week, I would love to invite you to listen to Women of the Military, hosted by Amanda Huffman, an Air Force veteran. Amanda is a creative airman to mom, interviews women who have served in the military or are currently serving in the military. Amanda also shares certain aspects of her military experience as an Air Force officer, military spouse, veteran, and mom. So please go listen to the Women of the Military podcast, available streaming anywhere. Okay, we're live. So hi, everybody. Uh, This is Annette with the True Sweet High podcast. And so I'm a little nervous because today um, we've, we have a very special guest. It's a soldier that I served with back in 2008, so over 2020. It's been quite a number of years. But we have been talking about her story for quite a few years. And I'm just really proud of her because it's t- it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to be able to be on a platform like this to share such intimate and deep parts of your life. So I want you to make sure you're tuning in, make sure you're listening, make sure you share this so that we can continue to help more people hear her voice and share her story in order to provide hope for others. So thank you so much, Paige, for being on here. I'm really proud of you. So this is like really nerve wracking and exciting. Just like (laughs) all the things. So let's go back where do you want to start? Because your story, your journey started from when you were a child, but we will talk about wherever you want to start from, because I know that there's future work for you with book writing and blogging and all the things. So we don't want to give everything away, but we do want to, we do want to share your story Um, and how you got here. I guess starting for me, you know, it's, it's kind of hard because it's like the same problem I have when I sit down to write, you know, it's like, I have so much to say, you don't exactly know where to start and you end up jumping around. But I think it's important to start um, this specific conversation with, you know, first I want to thank you. Um, you know, we, we met back in 2008 and, you know, you were in, influence in my life then, but it was after like we separated from being at the same duty station that you continued and even like became more of an influence. Um, And I wouldn't be where I am today without you. I mean, even I was going through probably one of the hardest times in my adult life coming to terms with being a victim. And it was like out of nowhere. It was like you could just sense and feel I was going through something and you just randomly texted me. And I think we hadn't talked for maybe two years at that point. And you were just like, hey, I just want to check on you. And that was like a life changing moment for me because it just I was like, holy crap, like somebody cares 
you know, and I just opened up and that really started my, my healing process. Um, whenever you reached out to me and, you know, I've been, you know, your, your greatest silent fan cheering you on from the back ever since then, you know, when you were getting a wild ride for life started and, you know, like it, it did, it helped me just knowing that you had a story that you were trying to share. Um, and you were reaching out to people, helping them be comfortable with who they were and what they've gone through. So I, I guess starting there, you know, just thank you, Annette, for you know, doing everything that you do for everybody. Um, like the, the biggest thing for me, you know, um, it, but I mean, when we start talking about my trauma, it's like, <laughs> I don't know where to start because <laughs> I was born on. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate those words. Cause I, I know how, well, you know how hard it is to even put this out into the public. And so to even begin talking about that part of your life is like, holy crap, you know, who's. I don't know. I, for me, it was fear of judgment and um, people just, I didn't want pity. I just, I guess I was just frustrated and anger. It was like all these feelings. So you started really being able to open up. When did that, when did that start? Um, near the end of my time in the military, um, you know, there's, there's quite a few things that contributed to it. It was um, you, you, reached out to me, you know, before I even thought about getting out of the military. And then I reached back out to you whenever, you know, my military time was ending. But, you know, it was like, you reached out to me. Um, I'm in a, an amazing relationship now. I have the best husband who is my absolute best friend. Um, so that helped a lot. And then another big thing was finding a therapist that I just clicked with that I was able to actually open up and tell everything to. You know, as, as bad as it is to say, um, the, the therapist I had before that, I tried talking to him and, you know, like I was ready to start trying to tell somebody and, you know, the way he responded to it was almost as an abuser. And it was just kind of like mind blowing, you know, maybe that wasn't his intention. I hope that wasn't his intention for crying out loud. But, you know, when someone has gone through some of the things that I have, the littlest thing can be a trigger. And I got triggered by my own therapist. So that stopped the process cold for a couple of years. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't until I was, you know, kind of coming near my end in time in the military um, that I really found a therapist I could open up to. So that was kind of a big changing point for me. Yeah. You know, that's, I went through several therapists as well and they just didn't do it. I don't know. It's like, mm -hmm. I need, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew it wasn't coming from them. So yeah. it was just frustrating. So I try to tell people not to give up on finding one, but it's going to be a process. Right. You know, if you really want one, just, I don't know. It, it's so hard. Cause I, I think that's one of the reasons why soldiers don't, or maybe not just soldiers. I think a lot of people don't want to go talk to a therapist because they don't want to have to go through that hassle. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really unfortunate, but there are good ones out there. So I'm glad that you found one that actually helped you speak out. Yeah. You know, and then the good ones, it, that good one may be different for everybody. Cause I know um, I had a, a soldier reach out to me asking for help. And I'm like, you know, this is my therapist and she changed my life. And I gave her the therapist's name and, um, you know, she didn't click with that therapist. It wasn't that obviously she's not a bad therapist. You know, she helped me tremendously, but you know, that soldier was like, no, not for me, <laughs> you know, um, right. not what she needed. So I think you're absolutely right in saying that, you know, just keep, keep looking, you know, keep looking until you find them. Right.
So you started sharing parts of your story, parts of your your life. You found your best friend, which is amazing because I know the struggles you had before. How was it to let that all out and just, I mean, did you just choose what you wanted to say or did it just all come out? It just all came out. Like it just, it was like an open faucet that wouldn't shut off. When it started to come out, it just came out. Um, and you know, it did come out first. Well, honestly, I, I have two best friends. I have my best friend I married and then I have, you know, my, my very best uh, female friend in my life who we shared things with each other even before the therapist because we just had such a similar um, story, um, similar background. So like we could almost share something with each other without even saying the words. We just knew, you know, yeah. uh, so it was great having that friend. But then getting to share that with my significant other was was kind of life changing, too. After, you know, I kind of became an open faucet to my therapist. I got brave enough to tell my husband and he, he didn't even flinch. You know, he he didn't care anything I'd been through in the past because he knew that, like, that's not one, like your past helps create who you are, but it doesn't necessarily define you, you know? And like, he just, he, he doesn't base me off of things I went through or decisions I made, because let's be honest, like when you have a, a, a big past, it's not always necessarily something that happened to you. You could be making bad decisions. Um, and some of that was, you know, I made bad decisions. So, I'm, you know, one, own up to things you've done, but also you don't have to put everything on your shoulders. You know, you don't have to own up to more than what, what you did. Yeah. No, I, I really love that you said it doesn't have to define you because there's so many people who go through trauma that feel like that's them and that they're not good enough to be seen any other way than that ugly part of what happened to their life, in their life. I so, would not change a thing I've gone through in my life, not a single thing, because I am really proud of who I am today. That's so, huge. And I went through some stuff, you know, um, and here I'll kind of hop into like some of my, my childhood stuff. You know, I grew up, my parents were drug addicts. They were um, always gone. They cared more about their personal life than they did their kids. Um, you know, I remember my kids, my parents fighting when I was super young and they split up when I was in about kindergarten. I remember my mother told me, um, I have two older brothers are like eight and 10 years older than me. And they both went to live with my dad. And my dad, when I was younger, <laughs> he walked on water to me. Uh, I actually started a blog that I, I started paying for the domain because I wasn't writing enough. But, you know, it was called like losing a hero part one. Like when you realize your parent is not who you think they are type thing. Um, but anyway, long story short, my my mom was like, I, I was, you know, like five or six. She's like, oh, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I could just fall off a cliff and nobody would care. Um, so I stayed with her. You know, I didn't go with my dad. Um, would things have been different if I'd gone with my dad? To be honest, probably not. Because looking back, he was not the parent I thought he was at the time. Um, and that becomes evident later on in life. Um, so then, you know, I lived with my mom. And she, she was, oh, something, um, you know, like I'm talking like she would sleep for days or she'd be, you know, doing drugs. She'd be awake for days. She would go out for days. Um, she had, I was probably like seven and we were at the river once and, uh, she's like, all right, I'm just going to walk down the shore a little bit. 
I'm seven. Like this blows my mind to this day. I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old. I was seven years old and she left me unattended by water. Like I don't even leave my 12 year old unattended by water, <laughs> you know? And she goes to walk down the, the shore. I didn't see her for three days. I literally hitchhiked, hitchhiked home at seven years old, had some strangers that were at the river take me home. I didn't see her for three days. I, you know, I was, I constantly took care of myself. I fed myself. I fed the dogs. I did my own laundry. Like I brushed my teeth. I don't even know how, like I did this stuff. It was just for me, the only way to survive was to be smart enough to just figure out life. Um, you know, so that was just kind of like the type of person my mom. She shows up three days later and she's like, hi, here I am. Like, oh good, she's alive. You know, <laughs> like what do you do? That that's um that's incredible. I I can't I can't imagine. Um I think the first thing that pops into my mind, and it just for me, it, you know, I've tried to lean on God more. I think that's God totally had it was watching over you because that is scary. So <laughs> it's 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 I'm say funny. It's weird that you mentioned God because I remember literally so many times in my childhood. I would curl up in a ball and shake and cry and rock back and forth and cry into my knees, wondering why nobody loved me, why nobody cared about me. And I used, I remember so clearly thinking like, if God exists, why is he doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Why does nobody love me? I had straight A's in school. I was in gifted and talented programs. I had like a 120 something IQ in the second grade. Um, they wanted to skip me a grade. And instead my mom beat the hell out of me and taught me how to forge her signature. So I didn't have to bother waking her up to sign my report card to just see all A's again. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I laugh at it now because like one, my childhood doesn't really affect me at all anymore. Some of my later adult life trauma I'm still working through. Um, but my childhood, I, I literally just look back and I'm like, that, that is why I am who I am today. Oh my God. Um, but I, and, and God's kind of, um, you know, I went many years as a rebellious teenager. I don't know what I was rebelling against, than, you know, just life in general, because my parents didn't care enough for me to rebel against them. Um, but I, I thought I was an atheist. I was like hardcore, like God doesn't exist. He wouldn't put me through this. Um, I'm definitely past that that phase, I should say. Um, and, and I do believe now I, I consider myself agnostic. Um, I believe in something. I believe in a higher power. I believe something's watching over me. I believe things happen for a reason. Um, when I pray, I do pray to God because I don't have a better name for it. Um, but I'm not necessarily reading the Bible following, you know, the story. So I do have beliefs, you know. I, I do think that something, someone had to be watching out for me. Right. So you went through all that. And you decided to join the military. So yeah, what made so you decide to do a, that? A little, let me, let me tell a little bit more before I got to the military part. Yeah. We can kind of see how I, I got to the military part. Um, it, you know, more things with my mom. It was, uh, so I remember she had this boyfriend at one point in time who um, held me and her hostage in her house for three days, literally held a knife to her throat and made her perform oral sex on him in front of me. 
Um, you know, so like it just those types of things. And then I remember it was coming Monday for school and I used to miss a lot of school, you know, whenever you're, you're a young kid and you got to get yourself off to school, you, you end up missing a lot, still had straight A's though. But, um, she told me, she's like, you're going to be late. Uh, I missed the bus. So I missed the bus. Um, and then, you know, she played it off as like, I, I got to take her to school. She's missed almost 30 days. We've gotten enough truancy letters. So she drove me to school at knife point, you know, um, I was you know, in the car and then, um, you know, he was like, you got 10 seconds to find her in before I come in there and I'm just going to start slicing everybody's throats. Um, so like, I remember getting like hurried into the office and then she real fast told him what's going on and then left. And like, I'm sitting with the counselor all day and everything. I'm guessing the police went and I don't know, surrounded the house or something. I kept thinking like, she's going to come back and get me and let me know everything's okay. Nope. I rode the bus home. I get home. He's not there. I didn't see him for years. Um, and then she's not there either. You know, like she, I was home alone. I used to get left home alone all the way back in kindergarten. Um, but yeah, I didn't see her. Like she didn't come in until late that night, you know, past my bedtime. Like she was just came in high and started vacuuming at 2 a.m. And, you know, like, <laughs> so. Oh <laughs> yeah, this is part of, you know, like that was my childhood. I, um, so what happened with my mom, um, right before I turned 10, I was in the fourth grade. She got a car accident. She fell asleep behind the wheel, drifted off the road about 50 miles an hour. And she was in a, like an 87, 88 Pontiac Grand Prix. It had T-tops. It was one of those big old boat cars. Um, she did have her seatbelt on, but the, um, the front, metal corner of the windshield caved in and hit her head and it um, shattered her skull in tiny fragments and those fragments punctured her brain and her brain actually started to swell outside of her head. Um, and, and I struggled with that for a while because and then when I tell you this next part, your mind's really going to be blown. But, uh, you know, very common for my mom to be high or drunk or unable to drive. I literally started driving her around at eight and nine years old. I'm sitting there driving this little, um, she had a 91 Accord for the longest time too. Um, I'm sitting there, you know, stacked up on books, driving this car around with my mom in the seat. Um, and I remember that day coming home from school. Um, that was the year I was going into fifth grade. I was about 10 days into fifth grade. We got lockers that year, you know, it was kind of a big deal. And as I'm walking up from the bus, um, she like pulls up. She's like, Hey, I'm going, I'm going to Pacific. I'm going to do this, whatever, whatever. Are you coming? I was like, no, I'm not. You know, usually I would because she's probably going to need someone to drive her home. Um, but I had homework and I'm like, no, like I'm done. Like I'm going to focus on myself. And, um, so I go in I'm doing my homework. And then it was like, it's weird. I remember this. I remember looking at the clock. It was 8 23 PM, August 23rd of 1999. It was when my mom got in her car accident. Um, well, that was when her, her boyfriend flies in the driveway and starts honking on the horn and, uh, you know, yells for me to come out. So I come out and I hop in the car and I knew something was up, not just because he was frantic, but he told me not to lock the house. Now, granted, he was a huge meth addict and he even cooked meth at our house. So um, like when we locked our house, when we left, it wasn't just a door handle. It was a door handle, a deadbolt, two padlocks. Like, it was kind of insane. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, I started to get scared and it was not even a mile away from the house where she drifted off the road at. And he like pulls up there. There's already an ambulance there. He like drags me up to the car. He's like, tell me that's not your mom's car. Um, and they had already gotten her in the ambulance, but I saw her mangled car and the blood flowing down. Um, so that, that changed my life um, for the first time. 
Um, and then I went to live with my dad, you know, and I thought, oh, things are going to be great. I'm going to live with my dad finally. Um, cause I thought my dad walked on water. Well, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> Shocker. No, he didn't. Um, so I'm living with him and he's got a girlfriend who's got three daughters. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to say something to sound like, you know, conceited about myself, but I was naturally good at just about everything. Um, I was athletic. I was skinny. I was smart. I made friends easily. Um, her daughters were not. So it was instantly them against me. You know, it was constantly like I wasn't allowed to talk on the phone besides once a week. And my grandparents were considered once a week. I wasn't allowed to like go to friends' houses. Like it was, it was crazy, um, super controlling. And then, um, you know, as I started getting sixth and seventh grade, it was like, oh, she's a whore. She's over there. You know, she, I, I, my friend told me she was up at the bus stop flashing her tits to boys. And I was extremely, that's something about me. I was extremely flat chested until I had kids. <laughs> Like, that was one thing that I got made fun of for, you know, my big nose and my flat chest. Plus, I was kind of athletic. So I was like, I was always one of the guys, you know. Um, and I remember like the one time she accused me of that. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, I get made fun of for this. Why would I be showing this to people so they can make fun of me more? And she's like, ah. I mean, it was, and it got so bad. And my dad knew this was happening. Um, she would, her daughter would like write like letters um that were from boys and she would find them in my my underwear drawer like saying like and I was still pretty prude at this age um you know and then it was like oh she found thong underwear in my drawer and like I still had like 101 Dalmatian Hanes underwear you know <laughs> like where's this coming from uh I used to like to draw when I was younger I remember like her daughter like would steal my sketchbook and like pass it off as her own so it was really like this whole thing uh, I know one time like so well one um she used to get mad that her three daughters had to go to uh, her their dad's house every other weekend and I had nowhere to go and that wasn't fair so my grandparents started taking me every other weekend which I absolutely loved I, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles are my saving grace um, I, I never told anybody how bad things were. And I think that was kind of like the, the beginning of like the self-depreciation. Um, you know, like I thought I didn't deserve a life as good as they would have given me. Uh, you know, like I didn't earn it. I wouldn't know how to act with nice clothes and a nice school and a nice home. You know, um, they offered and I'd be like, no, I don't think, no, I don't. It wasn't that like deep down I wanted to. I just felt like I didn't deserve it. I wouldn't know how to deal with it. Um, but I remember one time they picked me up from my grandparents' house and I had a friend with me actually, but she said something and I said something and she turned around from the front seat and like grabbed me by the throat and choked me and I hit her. Um, and now granted she left bruises on my throat and I don't know how this got, I actually did go to school the next day and say something and they talked their way out of it. I got grounded because I bruised her face when I hit her. Like, and my dad's just letting this go. He'd like slip an extra $5 into my jeans hanging in my closet or something like that. Just made everything okay. You know? And so it was just, you know what I'm saying? There was, there was never that parenting. Like he knew I was being mistreated. Hell, she mistreated him too. Um, and then I don't want to say saving grace because the only saving grace that ever happened in my life, I think was joining the army. But what happened uh, when I was 13, you know, we lived in a trailer 
And I had to come home from school and there was no kid out of the door. Um, so I called and uh, you know, I'm like, do you, do you just want me to start packing, you know? Uh, so I literally start packing up the house and everybody gets home, they start packing too. But my dad and his girlfriend had nowhere for us to go. So um, the house that me and my mother lived in, my grandparents had actually bought for her. And um, whenever she was in her accident, they just let her boyfriend continue to live there until I brought it to their attention that he was cooking methamphetamines there. And then he got kicked out. But then my, my two older brothers, obviously, they never really lasted long with my uh, dad and his daughters. So um, they just kind of got pushed out on their own when they were teenagers. Um, so they ended up living in that house. So whenever we got evicted from the trailer, um, I went to go live with my brothers. And my um, dad and his girlfriend, they stayed, I, I don't even know where. Um, there was like an old trailer that they used to have that was on some property that they were trying to fix up. And then, uh, you know, her daughters went to live with their dad. So that was like for the summer. And then we come back after the summer. And all this time, my dad's waiting on the settlement from getting hurt at work. He's disabled. Um, and then he finally gets a settlement. He gets like $250,000, you know, which for some, some broke ass, you know, Missouri rednecks is a lot of money. And, uh, you know, like he, um, I remember there, there was a point, like we're in this double wide now because we're fancy. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there, there was a point where she said, you got to choose me or your daughter. And my dad literally chose her. I was 13. I packed a backpack and walked 12 miles to my brother's house. And I just stayed with them. Oh, my God. Um, you know, and you got a 13-year-old, uh, 21-year-old, and a 23-year-old who never really had any parenting either. Just kind of out there figuring it out. Um, and I still did well in school for a couple years. You know, it went, um, it, <laughs> that, that was kind of when it changed as far as, like, I guess I found sex and drugs close to that age. You know, I was 13 when I started having sex and it was uh, kind of one of those, like one, I'm hanging around all these teenagers. Now everybody's having sex. I want to fit in. I want to be part of the group. Um, so, and then plus I've already been called a whore and everything else under the sun. And I remember thinking in my head, like, why don't I just fucking do it? You know, just, just do it. So I did like, I like found a guy and I was like, in, made a mental note. Like, I'm just going to go have sex with this guy. I'm just going to lose my virginity. And I did. Um, and that was worst decision I ever made. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that kind of, man, I was a kid, like my son's 12. He doesn't even notice girls yet. How was I 13 years old? having sex. I was 14 when I started doing drugs. And I don't mean like smoking a little weed. I mean, like, if you can think of it, I did it. Like, I don't know how I didn't die of an overdose. Like it, it, it was insane. Like the things I did at such a young age. Um, and you know, like I still went to school for a little bit, but then it, it, it got to the point where like, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have water. We didn't have money for food. Um, and I just got pissed off at the world. Um, and in ninth grade, I ended up getting expelled because I just, somebody would look at me wrong and I would just hit them. I just was so mad. Like I would fight everybody. Um, and about 25 days in the ninth grade after already being suspended a few times, um, I was fighting this girl and, um, someone tried to pull me off of her and I elbowed back and I ended up breaking a teacher's nose. And I was expelled, like couldn't go back to that school at all. I could go to a, after uh, when the new semester started, I could go to what was called the alternative school, 
Um, and I, I did, but like during that six months, I started working and I started making money and I started having electricity and food and hot water, you know? So then I go to this alternative school and I think I lasted about six days. Um, you know, and I went from doing college algebra in the seventh grade to the alternative school. There's no options. So they put me in like pre-algebra because that's all there was. So I'm literally in a pre-algebra class with seniors and like, I already know all this stuff. So it was just, I felt obviously, you know, I made bad choices to get there. Um, uh, but I just felt it was like a waste of my time. So I was like, what, what's the point of this? And I remember it was like second period. And I just got up and started walking out and the teacher's like, where are you going? I'm like home. And she's like, you can't do that. I'm going to call your dad. I'm like, how do you think I'm getting home? I live 40 minutes from here. Like, you know, dad, come pick me up. I'll, I'll give you a joint, you know? And that's literally like how it happened. Like you, you asked me like, what things did my dad teach me? Oh man. Um, he taught me how to break up weed and weigh it out and sell it and turn a profit. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this is the skill set I had growing up. I knew how to survive. I knew the, the street life. Um, so then, you know, you got a couple years of just really bad decisions, um, you know, being in situations. I remember this guy, I thought I was in love with at 16. He's like, you know, if you love me, you'll let my brother have sex with you too. So like just those types of situations, like literally like there'd be like group things. You're just like being passed around and you just become so sexualized because it's the only attention that you're getting. You don't know what real love is. You don't know what having an emotional connection with somebody is because you never had it. But like somewhere in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was better than that. I always knew that I was meant to do more than be another statistic of where I come from. You know, um, and then I had a friend's mom pass away. Um, she was uh, she was a crackhead, like not even joking, like a literal crackhead. Um and an alcoholic, and she ended up choking on her own vomit in her sleep. And it was somehow like when the phone call came in, like I knew before I even answered. But when it became a reality, it was like an epiphany. I knew if I didn't make a decision right then and there to be better, to do something to get out, I was never going to be better than where I came from. So I made that decision at that moment, and I quit everything. So it turns out I was never addicted to drugs. I, I was addicted to numbing the pain of my life, you know, because I did, I just quit everything. Um, you know, I started working. I had a pretty solid job as a 16 year old high school dropout. Um, I got a inventory control specialist supervisor job for Joanne Fabric and Crafts. Um, and I did well at that. And they worked with me. They're like, we're only going to, it was a great, I wish I, I don't remember his name, but whenever he hired me, he was like, I'm only going to do this for you. And it paid me starting at $7.50 an hour. He's like, if you go get your GED. So he gave me a great job. He gave me the time to get my GED. I got my GED in minimum time. I even got like a two-year uh, thing to where I could have gone to the local community college. I scored so well on my GED exam. Um, and I did for a while. But then I got a thing in the mail. I, I actually started talking about joining the Air Force and I had to get a waiver for having a GED. And the recruiter was pretty sure that I was going to get the waiver. Um, and then I got a thing in the mail for the Missouri Army National Guard. It's like, we'll pay you $20,000 to join the Army. I'm like, bye, Air Force, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I didn't read the fine print. 
let's just put up for I did not get twenty thousand dollars, guys. That is not what happened. It was like ten thousand after you complete training, and then ten thousand three years later, and then that ten thousand after you take taxes come a whopping like six grand. And then it took so long for them to actually get me the six grand. I didn't even get it until like I went active duty. Like it took so long for me to get their crap together. <laughs> So jokes on it, um, you know, way to, army got me, but you know, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Um, but then, you know, I joined the army and I vowed, it was like an, an internal decision that I had to make and I chose to make. And sometimes I still choose to make on a daily basis that like, I am going to be a different person. I am going to be somebody I'm proud of. And um, I think I did really well with that my entire time in the military. You know, I never got in trouble. Um, I think I got like one negative counseling um, my entire like 14 years in. And I knew I was getting that because I even wrote it. Because I, I told I was a staff sergeant promotable and I had a sergeant first class who was my boss. And he was, we did not get along. And I did not agree with him. And I flat out told him, that's fucking dumb. I'm not doing that. And I was like, I'll write my own counseling. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I did I did well, though. But I remember being at basic training. I was 17. Um, I was so young when I joined the Army. Like, I had to go to my 18th birthday and count backwards before I could leave for training. And I ended up turning 18 on family day. And then I graduated AIT the following day. I just remember like being in there and being 17 and these 20 something and they're like walking around. Like I remember this one girl, she was like 22. She was like, I'm tough. I can kick anybody's ass in the back of my head. Like, no, I could kick your ass. But I didn't say that because I was choosing to be a better person. Right. <laughs> I just kept my mouth shut, kept my head down, just, you know, charge forward. And that's when I realized that like the military would recognize my hard work. I got promoted to E2 on my 18th birthday. I was the one person selected from the platoon. So my drill sergeant recognized my hard work. You know, it was, that was when I decided to be better. Um, and I think I did well in the army. And that was like, as soon as we were in red phase, you know, like the first day someone's in my <laughs> And that was when you realize you're a smart ass without even realizing it. I remember the first time I got yelled at, you know, it was, uh, it was shark attack. They're pulling us off pulling us off the bus and we're getting put in formation. And uh, I had my drill sergeant was shorter than me and he had these piercing bright blue eyes. And he'd be like, are you staring at my baby blues? Or he's like looking up at me. I'm like, no, drill sergeant. He's like, you're not staring at I was like, I can't, I can't see down that far, drill sergeant. <laughs> not the thing to say. <laughs> it was true. But it's not the thing to say. That's uh, funny. But I did really well <laughs> through the rest of training. Uh, but you know, like people are like, "Oh, I want to kill myself. This is so hard." And I'm like, "I got hot water. I got food. Well, I had hot water after like the first three days. Um, <laughs> you know, I got food. I got clean sheets, and I'm getting paid to stay in shape, drive big trucks, and blow stuff up. Like this is the best job in the world." <laughs> and you know, when people ask, like, "Why did you choose MP?" Well what kind of skill set do you think I had? Like, if you can't beat them, join them type mentality, right? Like, I was a really good MP because I could come in and I could just talk to people. You know, like, I could 
sympathize and empathize with everything that they were going through. You know, I'd been in those situations. I've been in the situations where parents are beating the shit out of each other and kids are crying. And like, that was my life. That was what I did. I can come in, I can calm a kid down. I can talk to a parent. I can separate. I'm like, Hey, all right, listen, listen, listen. Like I'm, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm not here to ruin anybody's life or career. I'm here to, I, I want to help you guys out. Let's help you get through the situation. You know, talk to me. Like I'm here for you. you know, I, can, I can come down onto somebody's level. Um, and I think that that made me a good MP, you know, I don't know if the army knows about everything I went through in my past, but surprise. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was leading up to the army. Sorry. I just kind of started talking and then just didn't stop. And I'm all over here, like waving my hand around. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's actually pretty damn incredible because you could have chosen so many different paths, you know, but you chose to want to be better and thought that the army was going to make you better. And then it did. It did. Yeah, it absolutely did. And you chose to excel in so many different areas because then you decided to be a drill sergeant and that's not for everybody. I loved it too. Oh God, I loved it. I loved it. I was good at it. The hard part for me is when I could see myself in somebody and they wouldn't let me help them. You know, like I'm telling you, just get past your mindset. Just decide. It is truly like you just have to make the decision. Like I literally, it was like flipping a switch. You know, it was like, I am not going to be sad about this anymore. I'm not going to be stressed about this anymore. I'm not going to be that person. Like, I can make that decision. And I did not saying it was always easy, but I made that decision. Um, and then I stuck with it. Yeah. So you, you did your, you did 14 years, right? Uh, just a few days shy. And that was total. Um, you know, I did as soon as I got to, um, red phase, you know, I'm getting yelled at, but I was like, I want to do this like all the time. Like this is the best job on the planet, you know, like uh, this, this is what I want to do. So as soon as I finished training, cause I was in the national guard, um, I went back and I'm like, look, I want to go active duty. Like I, I'm, I want to do this full time. Um, and it was, you know, the state or the unit or whatever messed up the paperwork. Um, it took like over a year to go um, active duty. And uh, so I actually got to keep the first half of my bonus, but uh they, um, so I just quit smoking. So I got to chew my nicotine gum. <laughs> but, um, That's good. So I went, I joined in March of 2006, the National Guard. Left for training in like end of May. Was in training until October 12th. I know that day exactly because I turned 18 on the 11th. <laughs> um, and then I was in the National Guard. I started doing the active duty paperwork right away. I didn't actually get my active duty orders until June of 07. And that was when I went active duty. So then when you like take that time and do the BASD and move it backwards, um, my active service date was January 25th of 2007 is how, you know what I'm saying? How they tacked that on change for time and service or whatever. Cause the active, the training time counts as active duty time. Um, but my pay entry basic date was March of 2006 and I, uh, retired February 20th of 2020. So, um, total service, just uh, a little bit less than a month shy of 14 years. So what made you want to get out then and not 
stay until the full 20. My body hurts. <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, coming in the army young from where I came from, it was I felt I had a lot to prove, not to my leaders, not to those around me, but to myself. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't like being the female that was at the back of the pack. Like I wanted to be in front of the guys. And some people's bodies can do that. Um, it just took a toll on my body a little bit faster. Um, you know, I had battled with back problems for many, many years, still like avoiding profile, um, avoiding, you know, being on profile so I don't get med boarded type thing. But then uh, kind of the, the tipping point was I ended up getting something I had no control over. I couldn't find it anymore. Um, I got an aneurysm in my right leg. I had, it was called a popliteal venous aneurysm. You probably have better chances of winning the lottery than having this. Gosh. I remember um, there's only like a couple hundred documented cases in medical literature. I remember whenever they first told me that I had that, I was like, no, Fort Leonard Woods got it messed up. That's not accurate. It's it's a baker cyst or something. Like, there's no way I have that. Yeah. And that, nope, that's what I had. Um, so I had the surgery to remove it. Um, and, you know, I'm healing from it and like start trying to work out again. And I just, my leg, um, so how the doctor explained it to me, you know, like your, your veins have all these different valves and stuff. Some people have the surgery and can hop right back in it. There, it doesn't affect anything. Some people don't. Well, for me, the valves in my vein are still working harder after having, after having that repair. So I can't stand too long. I can't sit too long. I can't bend too much um, or my leg throbs and swells. So I, and it, plus it also redemonstrated a little bit. I have, I do have another aneurysm in my leg. It's at 2.9 centimeters right now. It has to be at three centimeters to be removed. <laughs> God. My first one was three centimeters. This one's at 2.9. So I'll be having surgery again sometime in the future. Um, but secondary repair is going to be a lot more extensive. Um, but it's actually whenever you have an aneurysm, it's in the regulation. If it redemonstrates within 90 days, it is automatic MDRP, which is your medical decision retention point. Um, so I hit MDRP due to the aneurysm in my leg. And then it was like, all right, my back, my neck. <laughs> Every other joint in my body, <laughs> my mind. <laughs> no. And you're and you're how old again? I'm 32. So it it happens. It it just it happens. I was going to be in the army for as long as they would let me. I thought it was going to be 25, 30 years. I made seven and 12. Um, I thought you know I was on track to be a sergeant major one day. I wanted to be a sergeant major. I wanted to lead people. I wanted to show people if I could do it, they could do it. Um, and it just didn't work out, you know. I still made seven and twelve. I remember when I made that list, it was like one. I was already kind of like, should I get out? Should I not get out? And when I actually validated that board file, I didn't update anything. I just validated what I'm gonna tell you it was not even accurate. And then I still got picked up. I was 260 out of 263. I remember like my friend called me and he's like, uh, I just saw the the pre-release and uh you're on it. I'm like, no way. I just started laughing. I was like, <laughs> I didn't even try to be on it, you know? So that kind of like reignited that fire again. I was like, all right, I'm in it. I'm in it. And then of course, when I remake the decision, like I'm in it for life, boom, knee aneurysm, you're out. Um, I did start playing the lottery after that. Just so you know, I haven't won yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. You know. 
But even so, you said you wanted to prove you wanted to show people that you could do it or that it can be done. But I think, don't you think that you've done that though? You still yeah. done that? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in a way. Um, yeah. I, I say people. I don't even know if I wanted to show people. Maybe I just wanted to show myself. Maybe. Yeah. You know, like I'm the youngest of three. And it's so frustrating because me and my brothers were like, we're never going to be our parents. They're my parents. They're they're so similar to my parents right now. Like I don't even have a relationship with either of my brothers. Oh. Um, you know, one of my brothers, the most I talk to him is when he's cussing me out for calling child protection services on him, which I don't understand, Missouri. Why have we not taken his kids away yet? Because it's not safe where they're at. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like it's it's so sad, but it's it is what it is. You know, I wish somebody would have called. And not even that, like, there. I don't even know how I did it. Like, I don't even know manipulation. I don't know if manipulation is the right word. Like, I knew at a young age, like, what was happening, the stuff I was seeing, it was not right. But I didn't talk about it. Because if I got taken away, like, the unknown is worse than the known, you know. But in hindsight, you know, I would say hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, God, I wish, I, well, one, I wish I would have just lived with my grandparents because my life would have changed for the better at such an earlier age. Um, but like if, if the teachers and counselors would have just been more persistent and stop letting a eight, nine, 10 year old, like outmaneuver them, like you knew what was happening. Like, but then again, you know, systems change. I think schools are better nowadays um, at, at spotting that stuff than they were then. But like I said, I don't regret it. I think things would have been differently, but I have what I have now. You know, when I left for the army, I uh, left a house that was infested with cockroaches. I used to have to sleep with the sheet over my head so they didn't crawl in my ears. Um, where the floorboards were rotting out, where, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was disgusting. Um, and then at 24 years old, I bought my first house by myself. Oh, Brand my gosh. And then this, this office, you see me sitting in with my college degrees and my retirement certificate behind me. Um, guess who built that wall in her basement? I did. <laughs> you know? See, that's, that's so amazing. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm sitting here thinking about my son who's, who's lost. And I haven't really talked about this to the world. So when you hear this, I hope he's home, but he's not right now. But I think about um, how how he's out there in the world trying to just make it. And then I see you and I'm like, but you made it. I guess it just depends on the decisions you make and how you want to be as a person or how you figure out life. And I I don't know, I it just hearing you share this is how do I put it? It's worked. It's, it, it didn't work the way that we had planned or intended, but now look at you, you've accomplished so much and you're here now and you're, you've done all this stuff on your own by yourself. And you even sat here and said, I don't regret it because now yeah, you're in that. He's going to go. Exactly. Right there. <laughs> that, that's not right I leave empty because that's that's what I'm in grad school right now so I dropped out of high school but I'm going to be uh, I'm going to have an MBA so 
So it, it can, it can happen. It can happen. Yep. And, and people need to reach out to you to get that, that encouragement in, in those words. You know, I make a decision every single day to yeah. get up, work hard, to strive to be better, to strive to be more. There's a Bruno Mars. I love Bruno Mars, by the way. I got a story to tell about that in a minute. Uh, whenever me and my husband renew our vows next year. But there's another Bruno Mars song called Billionaire. I say millionaire because I don't think I need billions. I think I'll be happy with millions. Um, you know, but I'm I'm in uh, an industry right now that creates more millionaires than any other industry. So like every morning I come down and I sit in my office and I turn on my computer and then I turn on the TV behind me and I put on YouTube. And the first song I listen to is billionaire. And then I think, I want to be a millionaire so fucking bad. You know? And like, that's my anthem. That's what gets me pumped up because like the only thing that's going to get me there is me, you know, now granted, like my husband supports me, you know, my friends support me. So like, I, I do have a support system and I think that's important for anybody who's going through a hard time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like realize too, like, even if you don't think you have a support system, like you do, like you're, you're part of my support system, you know, and it's not like we talk every day. We went years without talking, you know, and then you reach out and it's like, yes, like somebody could reach out to me that I don't know at all. I will be your support system. You do not have to go through this alone. If I can survive it, you can survive it, you know, and then there's, there's a book series and I know there's been like some debate on whether what was said in the book is accurate or not. It doesn't matter. The story still helped me um, that I read when I was in middle school. It was a child called it um, a lost <sighs> man. Yes. Yeah. Remember like that helped put it in perspective to me. Cause like, no matter how bad I had it, somebody had it worse. Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting stabbed. I wasn't getting forced to eat dirty diapers or sleep in a cot sitting on my hands or, you know, like, but if I can make it through, so can you. If he can make it through, so can you, you know? Yeah. That's incredible. I can go off on 20 different things. No, but it's all, there aren't, I mean, those books. Yes, I actually just saw a Facebook post the other day where someone had shared those books. And I was like, I totally remember those. And then you just brought it up. So those books, absolutely, they're so heartbreaking, but yet, inspiring in kind of a way because he yeah. talks about how you know now and now look where he's at and now look where you're at so not done but i'm on no. my way well yeah i mean and and i think that's the important part is that you keep showing up you keep showing up no matter what and you have well, granted i have to take like it's not it's not always sunshines and rainbows oh like, yeah even in my new job like you know something like nothing could happen. Just sometimes when you've gone through as much crap as I've gone through, you just have a day where it's like, I'm not doing anything today, you know? And you do like you fall into a funk, but you have to be conscious to get yourself out of that. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm going to give myself a day yeah. to just sit around in pajamas and watch Netflix and eat junk food. Um, but then my ass is going to be on it tomorrow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's okay to fumble, you know? but you have to keep moving forward at some point. So don't allow yourself to sit down and wallow too long. No, you're right. And I, I like to say that it's, it's okay to, it's okay to not be okay. If you need yeah. to take a break, step back, start again tomorrow, because I think we're, we put so much pressure on ourselves that we just end up exploding. We just, we get overwhelmed. We break down, we shut down just all of it. So I think it's just important to learn how to give ourselves grace. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but yeah. small steps, I think, like you said. So what advice would you give to somebody who's, 
who who's in that environment right now who doesn't know where to turn who just wants to give up who reach out you know don't be afraid there's so many avenues and resources out there you know there's there's a wild ride called life there's this podcast the truth we hide there's you know you, you could reach out to me through facebook you could um you know uh one of the other people uh, who kind of inspired me to get on this podcast uh, and share my story, um, Sean Tobias Ambrus. I don't know if I said his name right, probably not right, but you know, the not all ghosts die. You know, like there's so many people out there who are willing to help do a quick Google search, you know, just search for like, I, I'm not mentally okay, I need help. Um, you know, maybe if you don't want to call that suicide hotline, I get it. I've been suicidal. I didn't want to call the suicide hotline. I, I think they're great. And, you know, I appreciate that that avenue is there for somebody who uses it. But if you want to talk to somebody else, like I'll take your call, you'll take their call. There are people out there. Um, yeah. I don't have to know you to help you. And I guarantee there's so many other people that feel the same way. So don't be afraid to reach out to anybody. Because if you come at me sincerely and say, I just need someone to talk to, I will drop everything I'm doing and be there for you. You know, like it's, I've had, um, right around the time I was getting on the army, I had a, a soldier like say some things to me that, uh, you know, I don't want to put someone else's business out there too much, but you know, she was going through a, a rape situation and she said, dropped everything. I told my husband, like, I got to go. I want to sit with her while she's in the victim advocate's office. Like she wants to be her support. I, I will be there. Like, doesn't matter. Like I will be there for you in any way that I can. If you want me to tell my story a hundred times, if you want me to just sit there and listen, if you want me to chime in, like whatever you need, I'll be there. Yeah. Just don't be to reach out. You do not have to go through it alone. That's so important. It is. It's so important people for people to know that there are others out there that have gone through it or similar situations. So what's your next plan besides your, your uh, master's degree? What do you want to do next? I want to be a millionaire within 10 years. <laughs> well, not, right? Guess what? I'm going to be like, I will be. You're putting it out there right now. To do it. Yes. I'm um, putting it out there. I, I'm putting it out there. I want to be a millionaire in 10 years. Okay. Okay. Rather than, you know, closer to the 10 years, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in 10 years in with a pool so I can swim in my clean pool and look at the lake. Right. <laughs> oh, that'd be so nice. Do you still want to stay in Missouri? I do. I do. My lakeside mansion will, you know, be part of the redneck yacht club. I'm going to the <laughs> Maybe I I'll be by my house. Who knows? I will tell. I want to have a back porch that has a swirly slide coming off the back porch to get down to the backyard. How fun is that? It's going to be like the coolest, coolest yeah. house on the block. I want to have a house that has uh, ensuite bathrooms for every bedroom. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. fancy. I want a pool okay. house. You know, like, <laughs> like, that's what I want. That's my 10-year plan. Okay. I love I it. After it. Um, but I'm definitely going to get an MBA. Hey, you know what? Not not many people can do that these days. So you you do it. Coming from where you grew up until now, the person that you are now, the family you built, the life you built, nothing's nothing's impossible. So I can't wait to see you do it. 
I am going to, so you want people to reach out to you through mm -hmm. Facebook Messenger? Yep, you can just page Pfeiffer. Um, you know, it's uh, probably the best way to reach out to me. Um, and then that way, you know, I could, I don't know if I want to give out too much personal information, but I did open my Facebook up to where it's it's public now. Um, so you can reach out to me through Facebook. Um, okay. This is probably the best way. And then, you know, we could always work on other avenues if someone reaches out to me that way. Absolutely. That's know, awesome. Are we, are we hitting our time? Because I know there was still more I wanted to talk about. You know, we could keep going if you want to talk about more. No, 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 it's fine. Like we could do. More. We could do a part two. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. I told you, I, can, I start to ramble sometimes because uh, there is one big thing I do want to get out there. And I think that would be like a whole different, uh, you know. Do you want to do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do that now, or do you want to do a part two? We'll probably do a part two. Okay, I'd say do a part two. Okay, I, I so you I'm talking to you, so. So you guys heard it here. You need to you need to stay tuned for part two because there's going to be one. So I will put her Facebook link in the show notes, podcast guide. Um, make sure you share this out. Make sure you follow her. And yes, stay tuned for part two. So thank you so much for for being here, Paige. Seriously, I am so proud of how far you have come so stay tuned i'm so glad that i was able to be this small part because i had no idea so it's bigger than you know thank you all right you guys stay tuned thank you for listening to the truths we hide podcast created and founded by your host annette the founder of a wild ride call life. Also a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.